we think. And uh, you can listen anytime you would like. SermonAudio.com slash GBF today. On cue, the train. All right, Psalm 24, please. Would you turn there? Psalm 24. We're going to read the psalm and um, pray, and then we'll dig into it. Uh, something that has blessed my heart this week. I often... Um, in times between sermon series, want you to experience the wealth and the depth of the psalms that we have. God has given to us um, a great resource in which we can find his workings in lives of those in the past. And as we look at their lives and what God has done, we see how he responds to us and how he deals with us. So Psalm 24 In your copy of Scripture, would you follow along, and I I will read aloud. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world, and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Selah. And notice Selah is, we think, maybe a musical um, uh, notation to pause. Sometimes people say it's crescendo, but we pause and think about it. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's bow in prayer and ask his help to understand today. Gracious God, you are a powerful and mighty God. You're a loving God. You're a holy God. You are a God full of justice and a God full of mercy. And so we come to you this afternoon for help. Would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts to understand or allow my communication to be such which brings accurately the Scriptures. Father, let my zeal for you and your message communicate what you have for us today. And Father, in all things, may you be glorified. Your word is eternally settled into heaven. Your word is powerful and in true. May it be glorified. May it resound to your praise today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the great king. But in Christ I pray. Amen. Have you ever had one of those aha moments? Something you've seen for a long time and ah, I finally get it. And when you read through the Psalms, often you'll come across a phrase or a verse or a couplet, a strophe, and you'll say, I recognize that, and it's, it's important. And then it's packaged with another part of the Psalm, I don't recognize that part, or I recognize it, and I'm not quite sure what it means. And today we have a Psalm that is almost that way, and the fact that we have two familiar parts, and the third part is... We know it, but we're not quite sure what it means if we just casually read it. 
In fact, some have um, wondered if this was three musical instances put together in one psalm. But as you start to look at the theme running through it, you see that God is a unified whole as he is delivering it to us today. And so I'll wait to give you the, the punchline and, and the payoff for this at the very end. We're going to work through this psalm verse by verse, but also we're going to hit the three major headings. And hope we'll see what God is doing here. The earth is the Lord's. First of all, praise God because it is all His. Praise God because it is all His. Look at what happens In the very first part, the earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The psalmist begins with ownership here. You notice right away, the earth is the Lord. And the word he used for Lord is Yahweh. So this is the personal name of God given to his people for them to relate to him, for them to understand more about him. But it's Yahweh's. Both the earth as a physical planet. And then he says, all that is in it, whatever fills the earth. So, humans, creatures, dry land, rivers, of everything. And all who dwell, and those who dwell, is, the word is the, the act of living or, or sitting down and remaining, remaining. Everything is God's. Everything is his. All that it contains. And those who dwell upon it. But in verse 2, he goes from ownership and steps back a little bit. To speak of creation, for he has founded it and established it. And this, this speak, speaking of founding, is, is the allocation, the positioning, where it goes. So you and I come in, and uh, recently, North Carolina and South Carolina uh, re-examined their border. And some people who lived once in North Carolina found out they were living in South Carolina. Um, it, just because of the, the line moving. And it, it had been such a way for, I don't know... For since the colonies were established, and then they firmed it up just recently, this past year. But this is the idea of allocating. So instead of arbitrarily, by, by state uh, fiat, allocating where the state line is, God is allocating and putting things in his world where he desires for them to be. If you think of that act of, of placing things, founding, forming and then here, the, the second part, establishing, determining, making ready, fixing, it says, it, the land upon the rivers. And so it, it gives the understanding of here's the sea, here are the rivers, and here's the land. It didn't just happen to be. God had his hand in forming that. Even if we think about um, post-Adam, post-creation, into the flood, as the waters separated, it wasn't a happenstance. God didn't say, well, let's see how this works out. Okay? That's not, the, that, that's not the, the picture of God that we have here. He founded it. He established it. This is God. You know, as we start in this, this, these two verses, it is praise to God because he owns it all. He created it all. Everything is his. And the psalmist hits us right away with this idea of ownership. Not only creativity, but of ownership. See, the creativity of a creator who, who has spoken and things come to be, and they're beautiful, 
even in the fallen condition and the, the sin curse on the world and we walk out in Greenville and it's 64 in the winter and it doesn't always happen if you're just visiting. Um, the beauty of what God has and we have actually in Greenville four seasons. Some people don't have four seasons. And even in the fallen nature of the world, God has, has given us kind of a, a window into his beauty. And we can praise God. The psalmist desires that this is not only a foundation of praise, but also acknowledgement of who God is, creator, owner. In the Old Testament, as God presents himself as the one who owns the master of them all, as God presents people as his servants, his children, it's not how we think of, of a master-servant relationship as, as contaminated by man. Because this master has an obligation to his own. This one cares for his own. And yes, we can happily be owned by God because we have an all-abundant, merciful, caring, gracious owner, a master. He is the one. But owning speaks of control. And we often struggle with that control, don't we? If the earth is the Lord and all it contains, that that means me. Part of his gracious work in, in founding things, he placed me and you here, especially if we are followers of Christ. He controls us. Our life is not our own. It's not for me to dictate I want to do this and that and go there and, and I want to accomplish this because it's all for God. It's all of His. And we struggle with this relationship. We struggle because we want to own it all, to control it all. But praise be to God, the infallible Creator, the Master who owns us, who controls us, who orders our lives. You know, I love the passage in the New Testament where Jesus says, he calls us friends. In the Gospel of John, he says, you are now friends. But as we are God's friends, Christ's friends, we understand his ownership of us. And so the responsibility and the privilege to praise him because we, as well as the earth, the rivers, are his what a great perspective, because this moves into the second part, the next set of verses, 4 through 6. And it tells us that we should desire God because of His glorious presence and desire, yes, to be in the presence of God. Desiring to be in the presence of God and desiring God Himself. And it's almost as if the psalmist is answering the question by the Holy Spirit that if Yahweh made all things, controls all things, the implication, of course, he is great and wonderful in power, then who really has the ability or the worthiness to appear before him? Who can stand before the presence of a holy God? Verse 3. Who may ascend? Notice it's going up. Who may ascend? Travel upward into the hill of the Lord. Now, you may think, okay, that's Mount Zion. We're not really told here. We could be here. But the idea is you're going up to one greater. 
In fact, that's how they, they thought, the Jewish economy, they thought of Jerusalem. It was going up to Jerusalem, no matter where you were topographically. You went up to Jerusalem because that was where God was in the temple, in the temple time, or in the tabernacle. He would go up. Who may ascend, though? Who is worthy of this? Who may stand? Who has standing? Yes, but who may, who can even dare to stand instead of fall on your face before God, which is often the picture of the Psalms, that bowing down, the, the word of worship, to fall flat on your face before God. But who may, the question asked by the psalm is, who may stand before God in his holy place? Who is it? Can anyone? Can any one of all? How is it? Is it presumptuous to say, I can come into the presence of God? Who may? Well, the answer is there in verse 4. He, the one who has clean hands, clean being blameless hands, no sin on his hands, and a pure heart, the pure be empty of uncleanness. That is, uh, the heart is the spiritual locus of the heart, not locust, locus. Uh, is the spiritual location, is, is where everything meets for the spiritual man. Well, the one who has blameless hands, clean, pure heart, the heart, the mind, the volition, the center of emotion, that, that has the, the knowledge of right and wrong, this one has a, a pure heart, the one who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. Now, this is interesting. It's uh, the word we think of soul, but the falsehood is worthlessness or empty vanity. So here, it, it seems that what, what David is saying is the one who is not lifted up to something worthless. It's not, uh, the idea is not say uh, lifting up and casting out falsehoods, but following and lifting up a soul, your soul, to something that is worthless, em- empty, and ultimately false. Okay? So, clean hands, pure heart, one who is not following, giving my soul over to something that is false, or empty, or vain. Third, fourth, and one who has not sworn deceitfully. was the one who is, in his speech, has not given that treacherous or misleading words. This is the one who may come. At least sobering thought. Um, clean hands, uh, maybe, you know, because of our, our TV these days, the CSI, and you think of someone who comes and, you know, the, the criminal story, they spray a little something and they put a little, is it blue light, black light, purple light? You can see the blood on his hands kind of thing, and, or her hands, whatever the case may be. It's the one who offers clean hands that are truly clean, the one whose heart is not stained with evil, the one who is not throwing up his heart and soul and ambitions to something false, whose words are truthful. And look at the blessing and the promise that comes to this one in verse 5. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. Now that's remarkable that this Lord, this Yahweh, would come and say, this one, not only do you have standing, you shall receive a blessing from God. You shall, shall receive this from God and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
And so here's the, the unfolding of what's going on. Really the takeaway, as you come, you will receive back to yourself blessing and righteousness. And this is a double promise of God's goodness, of God's goodness and His righteousness. Imputed righteousness from God. The God of salvation. The God of deliverance. And this, and he talks about marking the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. Even Jacob, or speaking of Israel, these are the ones, in verse 6, these are the ones who seek you. The holy generation of Israel. Hey, not everyone in Israel sought God. But in the, the prototypical, the woes who, those who did seek God, these are the ones who are, will be able to stand before God, who come to Him. That's an interesting thing, this presence of God. Have you ever come to God's presence in, in prayer as you read His Word? Maybe you ask something, a blessing or a favor from God. And as you come, you never consider the condition of your soul. We, we almost have a spiritual presumption that if I'm God's child, I'm owed this, right? And understand, it is not works that saves us. It is not works that gives us God's grace and favor. Okay, so it's not that I work hard enough and God gives me the blessing. You noticed here that it didn't say those who who told of Yahweh the most. It didn't say those who, who um, beat themselves and, and bowed themselves down the most, and those who did enough spiritual discipline things, is those whose heart is clean. And the result of the heart on every part of the life and the body, their focus, their pursuit, these are the ones who God will bless. And yet we come, almost as we come to a royal vending machine, and say, God, would you give me this? And often, to be given that would not be good for us. Because sometimes it would reinforce the thought that I can just do anything. And God will just bless me. I don't have to live any certain way. I don't have to live holy because, you know, James called it asking amiss, didn't he? Apostle James, he writes to some of you, Ask and don't receive because you're, you're asking for things that is not God's will. It's to be spent upon yourself. The selfishness of not understanding who God is and what he has for you. And that's why the first point is so, so important that we know that the creator God, the owner God, it is for him that we praise and live. And so as we come and bow before him, we come in such a way that is holy, that is reverent. You know, God desires for us to enter into his presence. <clears throat> in the New Testament economy, after the cross, we, we understand of Jesus being the one who ever intercedes for us. To borrow a poetry. The one who who not only was our Savior, but the one who who pleads for us. And so God desires for you and for me to be in his presence and to come. And yes, bring our requests because he loves to delight and bless his children, but also bring our heart and everything to him. 
and to give it all that he may use it. And this is the one who comes with clean hands, with a clean heart, to see God's blessing, to see God's steadfast love, his righteousness. So desire God for himself. Desire God for himself and not for what he can give you or me. And then the last section, 7 through 10. We're going to say the third point is receive God because he is the glorious king. And as you wonder why I put it that way, we'll show you in just a second. Verse 7. The psalmist is talking to inanimate objects, okay? Lift up your heads, O gates. That's odd. And be lifted up, you, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Lift up your head, O gates. And I had once upon a time a wonderful picture of a, of a gate, a city gate in this time. And as search as I might this week, I could not find it. I'm not sure what happened. But the gates weren't as you see. I think more closely to what you are thinking of are doors. But these are not gates that opened and shut in that way. It was a series of entrances into a city. And so you would come in one way. Uh, if you go to northern Israel, the city of Dan, Tel Dan, um, this is where they sacrificed, uh, not in Jerusalem, but they sacrificed up there, the, uh, the false uh, king there. But you walk in, you have a, the, a seat of where um, important people would be and places around them. And then they would turn a corner and then would go more into the city. And now, there was some uh, understanding. You turn the corner, there was pockets for guards to stand and for protection. And there were doors that could be closed, but the gates were walked in. But the gates were where the important people sat. So that, um, Proverbs 31. Remember that? The the uh, Proverbs 31 woman, her husband's in the gates, and, and um, he hears great things of her. And he, is, he is proud to be her husband. City gates. Okay, he's speaking to those who are important. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Now, wait a second. Isn't God everywhere? Really? Isn't God, or is this a time in Israel's history where in Jerusalem uh, God wasn't there? Maybe the ark had been stolen? Or t- We're not quite sure. We really have been a lot of um, speculation. But I really don't think that God is calling to a certain period of time here. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift it up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Okay? So maybe the king is outside of Mount Zion, and maybe there he is coming in. Or it could be that the earlier speakers from verses 1 and 2 are crying out to those in the city, those men of great renown, and those who live in the city, to receive her king. Verse 8, who is this king of glory? So the call is, and almost a rhetorical call, come, lift, you know, let the king of glory come in. Well, who is this king of glory? The answer is Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, the mighty, who is mighty in battle. And it's not just any king. This is the king of glory. This is the, the king who is to be honored above all. This is a king who is strong 
who is righteous, who is powerful, and this is the one who is great. He repeats it again. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. It's almost like, maybe not antiphonal, but but a calling again of this and restating, but a little different. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts or of armies. He is the King of glory. And with the Lord of hosts of army, it takes on a little bit different. This is not a physical army. This is a heavenly army. The Lord of hosts. This one is powerful. And so Yahweh comes as the invincible warrior. The one who is strong and mighty and no one can conquer. And he comes and the people are being called to invite him in. Now, one who is invincible pretty much gets his way, doesn't he? But notice here the character of the psalm. Would you receive him? Yes, I know. He is powerful and mighty. Would you let him come in? See, God is everywhere, but he's not in the same way, everywhere in the same way. He does fill all space, but he doesn't fill it at all in the same way. Here, he desires, as they come in, to let him, to, to, them for to receive him and to acknowledge him not only as the invisible warrior, not as the Lord of hosts, of armies, not as the great, not only as the great and, and God to be worshipped, but as the creator and the owner of it all, would they receive him and in receiving him, give him all. This receiving is not one of today, a little bit. It's welcoming him into the city. And when we think about who God is, and when we think about what he calls for you and for me who know Christ as our Savior, we have indeed received of Christ's salvation. But there are sometimes portions of our lives that where, where he is everywhere, but he's not quite there in the same way. And we know of those times when we do not relinquish full control to the ownership of the great king of our lives. We hold back portions. And God does not come in and conquer and ravage the heart of a believer, of his children, He stands and knocks. He desires that we open every part of our hearts to him. He's capable of crashing down every wall. (laughs) But he desires that we receive him not only in salvation, but as owner, as creator, as holy God, as powerful, mighty God. And this is the psalm for us where we understand that we give him all. Because he is our creator and owner. You and I desire God's presence enough to be pure. 
See, the, the psalm, psalmist, as he takes us through these aspects, there is a response that we have to God. There must be a response. His word demands that his holiness demands that. Not that we work to get a gold star. I've been studying, we're going to take up on Sunday nights in the near future, examining, as we did uh, last year, certain religions and just kind of throwing them up against the, the wall of, of comparison to God. And you keep coming back to the, the thought of how would Christians from other religions, how would Christians be good if there wasn't, how would they obey if there wasn't a, a royal hammer from God to squish them, to squash them if they disobeyed? Muslims, you know, your good works outweigh your bad. Hopefully. Or martyr yourself. And so, it's the inability to grasp that God calls us to receive him and to live out for him because of love. He loved us, and we love him. We receive of him salvation. We receive of him blessing as we give him everything. As we allow him in every area of our lives. If you're not a follower of Christ, he doesn't come in by the sword. He doesn't force you. Jesus knocks and desires that you open. Salvation is not of our own merit. Salvation is given by God at a great price. You know, believer, he may be in your heart. But you may not have received him to, into every area of your heart. There may be areas of, in our lives that we have not fully given him ownership. God is all-powerful. He desires, though, instead of conquering each one, he desires that you allow him to come in. Now, I have seen steady pressure that he has placed on my life until I open those doors. And were I, even, were I wiser at those times, I would have opened the doors freely without the pressure. But understand, even in the pressure of to open the doors, areas of your heart, it's there because he loves you. He desires for you to stand before him to receive of him blessing. He desires that you be pure of heart. Who is this king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts of armies. The Lord of creation. The Lord who owns us. And the Lord which we joyfully serve. Receive. Every area. Though we might live for him. Let's bow for a prayer. Gracious God, uh, we stand in awe of who you are. Uh, we, we think of your goodness to us, and we are amazed that you would love us in our sin, in our rebellion against you. Jesus came, paid a price that was so great, paid a price that was far beyond our understanding.
for our salvation. And so God, would you, by your mercy and grace, if there is one here who has not received salvation of Jesus, would you draw that one to you? If you see the beauty of our Savior, the glory of sin forgiven, the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, for those of us who believe, when we are tempted and we fight against giving you all of us, may we not lift up something as more important than us and claim that that is greater than you, but may we give everything of our lives open-handed, may we live for you. May you have complete reign in every area of our lives. Our ambition, our goals, our friends, our family, our jobs, our hobbies. May you use every part to your glory. May we surrender all to you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the power of our great God and for the love that is shown to us. May you be glorified in and through us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.